Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There's birthday shrapnel all over the platform right now. Wow. Wow. Uh, I just, I loved the worship so much today. It, it, did, it did so much for my heart. Um, worship adds faith to your life. It connects you. It elevates your eyes beyond what the enemy would want you to look at. The enemy's saying, look at this. Worship says, look at him, and this is how we live our lives. This is part of our culture. This is what we do here. And uh, today, <laughs> today, today our topic, as I say that, as I say what I just said, and I say our topic is divorce, I say it again. I say it again. We worship so that we can take our eyes off what the enemy wants us to focus on the immovable object that we are told is immovable in our lives by the enemy, and sometimes by religion, oftentimes. And we place our eyes on Christ, who removes everything from my path, heals every wound. The question I have for you today is, is, is there any part of your life that is beyond God's reach? Okay. Is there any part of your life that cannot be touched by Almighty God. I want to preface this by saying, I had a lot of prefaces. I was probably going to spend more time on my prefaces than I was on my message. I'm not going to be going in depth on this. I've got, I don't know, 30 minutes, something like that. I don't know. To, uh, to speak about something that me as a person growing up in the church from the time I was a baby, I may have heard maybe divorce on, I could count them on one hand maybe, how many times I've heard someone talk about divorce. It's a prickly topic. Every circumstance is different. I'm trying to talk in generalities and principles while everyone's applying it to something particular in their lives. So, Father God, let's just pray together. Father God, right now, we look, to the, we look to the one that frees us from every sin. We look to the one that heals us from every sin that's been done against us. We look to you, our Redeemer, who brings us back to life. And we thank you that you remove all grief and guilt. And you send us forward into life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If I, have a, if I have a topic, a title for this, I would say, is there hope after divorce? Is there hope after divorce? I am speaking to two groups of people. The divorced and those wrestling with divorce. And to those who need a revelation of the love and the power of God within their own life. In a hopeless place in their life. I will be receiving 
communications and messages from two groups of people. And there's a priority to who I respond to. I am saying, yes, you can. You can talk to me about this. You can message me. And we can talk about it. My number one priority are people that are in the midst of or struggling with or questioning their own marriage and are in the, in the, under threat of becoming divorced or wrestle through it and have been divorced. My number two priority are those for whom this is a, 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 a theological sticking point. Sticking point. My priority with those, if I have to triage this, my, my first attention is going to be to those that are, are bleeding. I'm going to speak to them first and give them my attention as a pastor. For those that are wrestling with this as a theological sticking point, my response is, I would like you to join the facility team with me. We are... <laughs> mm. Pastor Stephen, it, we, are, we are changing, we are shifting roles over this summer. Pastor Stephen has been heading up, he's been heading up EV, and he's been heading up facility. I've been assisting him. I am his assistant in the facility. We are trading hats over the summer, transitioning. I will wear, I will wear pastoral hat, and then I will take it off, and I will wear a facility maintenance hat. And I do this with Douglas, Lester, a good man, a good man. While we're doing maintenance on the building, we have the most amazing conversations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We have the most amazing conversations. Sometimes it's spelled into online conversations, and sometimes we don't have an answer when we begin, and we get the answer as we talk it out. But a great opportunity to build relationship with people here at the church as a volunteer. We have great conversations as we mow the lawns, as we repair the building, as we paint, as we, as we fix and keep this place running from week to week. So if you would like a longer conversation, join me. I am not even joking. Join me. Dudes, dudes always, guys, we always do better when we're doing stuff and we talk. You're just sitting on face to face. Let's do something and talk about it. Okay. This is my priority right now. Okay. All right. Triaged. Good. Okay. Okay. Good. Does God love the divorced? And does he hold it over them? What part of your life cannot be redeemed? And I'm saying this again. First of all, I'm saying this to someone who is a child from divorced parents. I grew up with my father and my little sister in, uh, in Saskatchewan. Um, it it shaped and formed my concepts of community. As I, I remember being at my friend's house in, in small town Saskatchewan, hearing the parents talking, and as I'm walking into the room, I say, oh, that's that Sawatsky family. They got divorced. And the other mom is like, shh, shh, shh. And I'm like, my, my reputation precedes me. I didn't say it like that, but I was like, they know about me. And I, what they know about me is not awesome. I remember it terrified me. My biggest step of faith was proposing to my wife. Trusting God with my salvation, my eternal soul, was a big deal. Trusting God 
that I could tell Melissa I loved her for the first time when I proposed to her was the second biggest step of faith I ever took in my life because I was terrified that I would repeat what happened to me. And I didn't know if I had the tools and the know-how to, to pull it off. And this year, uh, this month, we actually have been married 26 years. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. God redeems this. God redeems what happens. I need to say this, and I'm going to say this. Yeah, okay. Divorce. Oh, boy. A anything I say can be construed, but here we go. Okay, fine. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. I've never heard that before. I've never heard it said from the front. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin, and maybe this is another thing to talk about, is described in Mark chapter 3, verse 28 to 30, where Jesus is accused of being possessed by Belzebub, a demon, for the amazing things that he's doing. It is, it is rejecting the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in leading us to Christ. It is calling the work of the Holy Spirit unclean. It is an ongoing effort. It is not a one-time thing. You work at rejecting the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is a sticky subject in the church because marriage was instituted by God. And we'll look at that in a minute. Divorce was never instituted by God. Never. He made it a concession. And because it's a concession and not a command or something that was instituted by God, it makes it very prickly for churches to deal with. And that's why we meet with everyone face-to-face -face and talk with them one-on-one -on -one when we're dealing with marriage. I will say before I forget, and I hope I say it again at the end, that in the fall, we will be doing a marriage course Typically, this has been premarital counseling, but we have had other people come to it. It's called Defining the Relationship. And Melissa and I first took it by teaching it years ago. And then Mark and Ara Downey took over from us and teaching it. And we're going to be carrying on that, that um, effort because it's shown great results in giving tools for marriage, tools for marriage under threat, and tools for people that don't know how to be married and they're about to walk into it. So I encourage you, if this is something for you, to uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I want to remove all question of God's love and commitment to us. He does not make distance from us. The very thing we need from God in marriage and in divorce and in wrestling with, the, with the, image, the, the impact of that is to know that he does not make distance from us. He makes no distance from us. He's always closing the gap. We are always tempted and are completely free to make distance from God. You see this in, in instances like the Last Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. On the night he was betrayed on the night he was betrayed. We see it on the cross in Luke 23, verse 33 and 35. 
when they came to the place called the skull where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. He fights for them even as they crucify him. He fights for them. He speaks for them. He intercedes for them. He is there for them. I would ask that you would have your ears open. If anyone has ever condemned you for being a divorced person, that you would, if you can, forgive them. And if you can't, I would ask you to ask God to help you to forgive them. And this may even come in terms of forgiving the church. Um, before I go any farther, I just want every ear to be open to what we're talking about right now. So I, I, will, I will say this as a representative, as a pastor. If we as a church have ever indicated to you that this is an unforgivable sin and that you walk disqualified through life, uh, like you've got leprosy or something, I ask your forgiveness in the name of Jesus, I repent yes. on behalf of people that have done that to you. Yes. And I pray that you would find healing in your heart. I pray you'd find healing in your heart and that we could make it right. Okay. 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 I just feel like some things cannot be heard until some things are forgiven. Okay? All right. There's divorce. There's right divorce. And there is wrong divorce. And I can't get around that. There's right ways to do it and there's wrong ways to do it. But all I know is Christ is Lord over all. And he heals it every which way. And the Bible, yeah, Bible school was awesome. It was, it was squeaky clean and sterile compared to what I walk through when you walk among people. People are prickly and complicated, man, and it's pretty wild. Marriage. It was the very first institution that God created. It was right there at the beginning in Genesis 22. It says, And the rib that the Lord God had made from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. It is not a partnership or contract or an agreement. It is a leaving of the family you grew up in to join and create another. It is a fusion of two becoming one. A fusion it is fusing of your finances. It is binding your futures together in one direction. It is done before God. It makes you one in intimacy with your bodies and your emotions. And marriage implies sex. But sex does not imply marriage. Okay? It involves companionship to take away each other's loneliness. It is the smallest unit of society in the larger world. 
the largest society in the church rests on this smallest unit of people. And it comes under attack all the time. It's mocked and ridiculed. It is questioned. It's an innocent legitimacy. It is a thing that needs to be torn down if, uh, if tyrants have to rule. It has to be eroded first. God has been married. Quite a strange thing for me to, to say. It seems weird, natural, but, but strange. God has been married. Ezekiel 16, verse 8. When I passed by you again, he's talking about Israel. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. The actual ceremony of marriage is not really explained very completely in the Bible, only that it has to happen. You see this again in Ruth, where Ruth and Boaz, and she sneaks in at night and and just covers herself with his garment, lays at his feet, and he wakes up, and he's like, what? what just? It's, that, was a, a, that was a form of marriage. That was, a, that was, that was the beginnings of a, of a ceremony she was, she was insinuating there. God has been married. Divorce. God hates Divorce. Malachi 2, verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of armies. So be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Divorce is the breaking of a covenant. It's destructive to the spouses, to the finances. It's destructive to their children now and in their future. It's destructive to the community and the circles of friends and future relationships that they have. It has the potential the potential to cast a shadow. The potential to cast a shadow. I remember growing up, and there, there is actually two seasons in my life I remember growing up. I remember my early childhood, there was a circle of friends that we had. And then our childhood, there was a, a completely different circle of friends that we had. And it, it just caused, the divorce called chaos. In, in who we knew and who do they relate to and who am I friends with now and how does this work? And it was, no one knew what to say or do. And before I finish here, I want to just encourage us with a couple of pointers on how we can lovingly care for people that are in divorce or facing it or have been through it. Under particular circumstances, God makes concessions for divorce. How funny. The thing that God says he hates, he makes concessions for. I don't understand it all. Joseph, Matthew 1.19, was prepared to divorce Mary to do it quietly because he knew it wasn't his son. And he didn't understand yet what was happening. I'm talking, if you don't know the full context, this is Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus. And look how it describes him. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He loved her. He didn't understand what was happening. He was just trying to do what was right. As he considered these things, called him a just man, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay. There are particular concessions for divorce and a way to do it properly. And we deal with every one of them here. We've seen properly, what could be described as properly divorced. We, we've seen people in, in situations and walked friends through them that were improperly divorced. We walked through multiple marriages, seeing people walk through multiple marriages and help them deal with the situation that they're in right now. If I asked, if I asked every person in this room to stand up who had been divorced... God would be standing with you as well. I do not, like not even figuratively when I say that, if I said all divorced people stand up, God would stand up. God has been divorced. I better pull up a scripture for that because that's like kind of a big deal, right? (laughs) That's a biggie. That's a biggie. Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did that the faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the war. And I thought, after she has done all this, she'll return to me. But she did not return and her treacherous sister sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I sent her away with the decree of divorce. He's not even... He's not even painting around it. The very thing that he said he hates, he used the concession for. I sent her away with a decree of divorce. That's crazy. That's crazy. God did not create divorce. He regulated it through Moses and clarified it through Jesus and Paul. Jesus, help me to talk now. Jesus, help me. Give me the right words and pray for the right, the right heart to give it in. Again, I want to ask, is there any part of your life that God cannot touch? Is there any part of your life that God cannot heal? And in this place, I'm not just speaking about divorce or any other. I'm speaking about every situation in your life. Don't tune out because this story isn't for you. Is there any part of your life that God cannot touch? In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 to 15, we have a couple of circumstances that Paul deals with. I'm just going to pull them up here. To merit, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not be separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and consents to live with him, she should not divorce her. 
If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And then it talks about the power of remaining in that marriage. For the unbelieving husband made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, the children be unclean as, is the, as it is they are holy. And this is the point. It, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. But in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know? This is the light that is shed in this wedding, in this marriage writer. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? There is a sense of the powerfulness of the individual in this passage. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 to 11, he's describing what Jesus has already reiterated. He's talking about believers, two believers married together. And by believers, we understand two people that are mutually committed to obey Christ and use the resources of the Word, the Holy Spirit, and the church. That is who we are talking to. They challenge them that if they, and they go through problems. They go through problems. They go through issues, huge issues. Paul is saying here, to remain unmarried if you divorce. Why? So that you can be reconciled. They hold out hope. They hold out hope. Does this always happen? No. It does not. But this is our challenge to people when we talk with them. We treat people like they're powerful. If you know Christ, we will challenge you in what you know and how powerful you truly are in Christ. We will challenge you to that. Next passage, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 15. This is a description of abandonment. A divorce, a breaking between a believer and an unbeliever. And this is something where he says, I, not the Lord, in that passage. Because Jesus did not mention this because the gospel was going out into the countries, into the kingdoms. One person was getting saved in a marriage and was going home to live with someone else. And I have seen this. I have seen this. I've seen people either get saved in a marriage and become unrecognizable to their spouse. It's like, who did I marry? What just happened here? I've seen people go off to um, counseling, go off to a weekend thing where God got a hold of their life. They come home, and all of a sudden, it's like, who is this person? And there's this readjustment that needs to happen at that point. It's like, I, I knew the person that left and they came back. What, what just happened? In this case, the Bible is talking about treating powerfully the one who has Christ in their lives and understanding that you cannot control the other person. I have no control over the other person in this, in this relationship. This is a mutual decision. I'm only responsible for my corner, for my side of the street. I walk up to my side of the street. I call upon the power of God and the love of God to help me love my spouse. I have to allow them to make the decision of what they're going to do with this relationship, if they're going to love me or not, if they're going to stay. 
And Paul quite clearly says, if they want to go, don't try and control them. Don't hold them down. Release them. Release them. That would be a description of proper divorce. Abandonment. Abandonment would be very similar to that. Divorce between a believer and a believer. I had a woman I, I talked with. I knew from a place I worked at years ago. She called me up. And we had, a, we had an hour-long conversation. In my, in my backyard, I'm just walking back and forth, talking to her. She became a believer. And she was fasting and praying for her husband. She fasted and prayed for like 14 days. Prayed the, that her husband would come back, who was not a believer. He came back. I was like, wow, okay. She said, God saved my marriage. I was like, that's incredible. Inside, I'm wondering, did anything change? She stayed, he stayed around for a while. He left again. And she's kicking herself. She's just, she's, just, she's just flagellating herself, wondering, what could I have done more? What could I have done more? Should I, I, I'll fast another 14 days. And all I could tell her was, is like, you're responsible. You're responsible for this much. You're responsible for this much. You are powerful this much to show up in the marriage, to be there and to love. But there is, there is no authority. There is no authority past your own. What's yours to control? That's up to him. And I grieved with her on the phone. We prayed together. We talked. It was a difficult time. It was a horrible time. But I just, I wanted her to know who she is responsible for. She's not responsible for his decisions, but for her own. Okay? Ask yourself this question. Who am I responsible for? What am I responsible to do? Not, not who am I supposed to control? Who am I in charge of? I'm in charge of myself. That's who I'm in charge of. Moving along with this, I know I'm going to make more questions than answers in part of this stuff, but going with this is abandonment. Uh, not abandonment, sorry, abuse. Abuse. Which I would understand, I would understand as forced abandonment. Where it's not safe to be in that relationship. It's not safe to be in that house. Where they are causing it to be unsafe for you to be there. And so I have to, I have to pull back for the sake of my safety, for the sake of my children's safety. I have to deal with that. And we, we've dealt with that often. Not often. I would say we've dealt with that. We've looked at situations where I'm sitting down and we're dealing with who is going to come to which service when we have two services. We're looking at restraining orders. The restraining order allows you to come to this one. Okay, now you go. Security is going to be well. Present. Oh my gosh, this gets so crazy. This gets so insane working with people. And now you come to the second service. Okay, good. It's wild. People, man, people are wild. 
I want to look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Pharisees love hot topics. <laughs> Pharisees love them. Love them. Love them to bits, especially when they don't have to answer them. It's like, it's going to toss a grenade. They do it all the time, and they love using women. They love using women for their hot topics. They love taking a woman who they caught in adultery and dragging them before, her before Christ and going, what, what should we do with her? It's time for an old-fashioned stoning, Jesus. So what do we do? Knowing that that's the correct legal answer. And Jesus bows down. He writes in the dirt. And no one knows what he, what he wrote. But the oldest left first to youngest. The Pharisee's oldest left first right to the youngest Pharisee, left last till it was only Jesus and the lady caught in adultery who were standing there. And he's like, where are your accusers? You're gone. You're gone. Who needs to hear that? Who needs to hear that? Jesus say to you, where are your accusers? I deal with them. I take care of them. I take care of you. I'm your protector. Who can accuse us? If, if anyone has the right to accuse us, it's Christ. If anyone could, but he won't. It's crazy. It's crazy. And again, in this situation here, context for it. John the Baptist is dead. And he's dead because he talked to Herodias about, about his marriage. About marrying his brother's wife. And it just seemed like the perfect time to drop a hot topic into Jesus' life. Oh, my goodness. I am so, I am so sorry. I, I'm going to go a little bit long here. Okay. <laughs> I will take you all out to Dairy Queen after this. It's going to be great. <laughs> okay. They throw the hot topic out. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Why do they ask that? Do they ask it because they want to know? No. They think they already do. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then, why then, did Moses command one to give you a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, because of your hardness of heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. He's always calling us back to the ideal. He's always calling us back to the noble. He's always calling us back to the holy. He's calling us back. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Pretty clear. Pretty clean. The Pharisees, there were two types of teaching happening at this point. Yeah. There was two styles of teaching based on what Moses taught in Deuteronomy. One was the Hillel school of teaching, 
where you could divorce for any reason. You could divorce because she had bad breath, right? You could divorce because she broke your favorite plate. It was frivolous. It was frivolous. And then there was the Shema school of teaching on divorce. Only for adultery. Only for adultery. What did Jesus say? Or let's, better yet, how do people respond to what he said? Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. From the beginning, it was not so. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The Pharisees were asking because they wanted to know how far they could take that law. Not because they wanted to do what was right or what's in God's heart. They wanted to be frivolous about it. And they wanted to trap Jesus. You know it was frivolous at the time because the disciples reacted so strongly. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They were so freaked out because it was like, what do you mean? My whole life I've understood marriage to be frivolous. I've understood that I could, I could pull the pin at any second. And Jesus, you're saying that that's different. That's not so. Not everyone can receive the same, but only one to whom it was given. For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Okay, I'm going to begin to wrap up here. You need the grace of God to be married. You need the grace and the power of God to be married. You need the grace and the power of God to be single. This is, this is the main point that comes at the end of this passage. You need the grace of God for wherever you are. Not everyone is incomplete because they didn't get married. Some are called to be single, and some are called to be married. Which one are you? Okay. I'm going to begin to wrap this up. Remarriage is possible. It's encouraged for widows so they can avoid temptation. We see that some, you know, there's properly divorced, there's improperly divorced. The concessions that God made, even in the concessions, sometimes the concessions were broken. And it is possible for people to come back from this. We find that through forgiveness and repentance, people can deal with their history. They can deal with the causes and the responses to the initial divorce. We find that some people, we sit down and talk with them. You go, okay, you want, to, you want to move on with your life. You'd like to get married again. Have you dealt with what happened in the past? Have you looked at that? What caused it? Have, you looked at your, have we looked at our responses to it? Have you repented and asked forgiveness? Closing it up. I know people can get remarried. I know they can get remarried out of total messes that they cause themselves if they're willing to own it and repent and let the voice of God into their lives. How do I know this? I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, which is the genealogy of Christ. Matthew chapter 1 is dealing with the lineage of Christ from the very beginning to when he was born. Matthew 1, verse 6, it says, And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. What? Jesus is a product of a messed up marriage. One day, David, 
the, David and Goliath, the Levite, the one who slays giants, becomes the king of Israel. This is where we're going to wrap up. One day, he sees someone bathing on the roof. He sleeps with her. This lady is married. She's an officer's wife. Well, the officers are fighting, which is where David should have been. They have a child. He's confronted about it. And this is after he's married her. He's confronted by a prophet. They repent. And he owns it. He owns what happened. Out of this came Solomon, the one who ruled after him. Out of this comes Jesus Christ, farther down the line in Matthew. That's where I'm going to wrap it up right there. Lord Jesus, we know your attitude towards us when we do it right, when we do it wrong, and when we can pull it back from the brink. And Father God, right now I just pray for everyone here that is tempted with divorce, that is troubled and confronted that they may have to. I lift them up in your name, Jesus, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them wisdom in what to do, that you would give them confidence that, you, that they can follow you wherever that leads, that your grace is on them right now for what they face. I pray for the church community that we would come around them, we would listen to them, encourage them. Father God, that you would rescue those that are resting right now. We bless the children of those that have been divorced. Lord God, we declare that you are their redeemer. You are their champion. Father God, there is nothing too big for you to break. There's nothing too big for you to remove. And we thank you, God, that you will heal what has been broken, Father God. You'll restore what has been taken. And Father God, for those that have felt like they are ostracized, we pray in Jesus' name that they would be restored back again in the name of Jesus. And we challenge those, those that feel that you are not big enough for what they face, Lord, that you would show yourself strong in their behalf. Father God, to carry them, strengthen them. Father God, bring us around them in Jesus' name. Let them find someone who they can talk to, who will listen to them. Lord God, who they can trust. Father God, bless them now in the name of Jesus. Which part of your life, family, and future cannot be redeemed? What cannot be redeemed? No part can't be touched. We'll just wrap it up right now. If you just want to stand with me, let's just pray. Father God, right now, we just pray for everyone here. If, if this is something that speaks to you, we just ask you to put out your hands. Whether it's around divorce or something else that has felt like you're marked, ostracized, rejected, done, stopped, blocked. We just pray, Father God, right now in Jesus' name, that you would be released. Father God, released. You would know the grace and the power to forgive and the grace and power and the holiness of God to lead you in the way everlasting, in the path of righteousness, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.
Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.